Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and autism. How do you treat the comorbidity? With us in our virtual studio is Dr. Sarah Shayette. We're going to get into the content as quick as we can. But before we do, we wanted to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing this show to you. In celebration, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine to get yours. It's simple. Listen to our show. We're going to share a secret word a few times in the show. Write it down uh, and listen to another show for that secret word in that show, and then send me an email. Both secret words in there, address attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we will send you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine and a PDF copy of the next edition when it is printed. Again. Uh, this program is being brought to you by Chad. We have a little tip that we're going to run, and we'll get into the show. So here we go. If you or a loved one struggle with ADHD, children and adults with ADHD can help. Chad is the nation's leading nonprofit organization supporting people affected by ADHD. Chad offers comprehensive programs and services at both the national and local levels. To learn about all the resources and information available to help, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. Okay. With us in our virtual studio is Dr. Sarah Shayette. She's a pediatric neurologist and an expert in working with kids and young adults with ADHD. She also writes about ADHD online and has authored two books uh, on the subject, Winning with ADHD and ADHD and the Focused Mind, with the goal of helping young people with ADHD learn to become independent, strong, and successful. Dr. Shayette graduated from Princeton University and UCLA Medical School. She completed a fellowship in pediatric neurology and has been in private practice since then. She treats kids and young adults with ADHD, not just with medication, uh, but also with non-medication strategies, such as those outlined in her book, ADHD and the Focus Mind. She brings a powerful professional perspective on the benefits and limitations of ADHD medications, as well as many behavioral adaptations for young kids with ADHD that must embrace to thrive uh, with their condition. She and her husband have four kids and live in San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, her website is uh, Sarah uh, Shayette, that's S-A-R-A-H-C-H-E-Y-E-T-T-E.com. And with that, Dr. Shayette, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. 
thanks so much for having me. We're going to have a great always, show. I always love having on, particularly for this topic. Um, I'm, I'm ignorant on this topic, and I know it because I can say I'm ignorant, but I had understood years ago that the belief was uh, ADHD and autism, they were completely separate, and you really couldn't have both of them at the same time. Then we did a, a show with the, the researchers said, oh, no, we, we now you can have both of them at the same time, and they acknowledged it's really complicated because they're very complex conditions, and where they're kind of interwoven – it's really difficult to, to understand what's going on and kind of how to treat it. And so it was kind of great. Now we know that it can happen, but it's so complicated. There's not really like protocols or thought process, and there's a lot of people trying to figure this out. My first question is, is that accurate in terms of we didn't know, now it's kind of coming together? And then be really interested in your thoughts on what you've learned and you can do it. But is it something that we didn't think you could have now? You, it's two of them together, and we're just sorting through trying to figure out the best practices on this? Yeah, Jeff. Um, you know, this is a really interesting question and a really interesting topic because it really goes to the heart of how we understand and think about not just autism and ADHD, but all sorts of neuropsychiatric diseases or conditions in the first place. And you know, we you have to understand that we're describing these things using sort of what we can see with our eyes in terms of behaviors and tendencies and manners and all that. And um, we're not able at this point in time to distinguish things like that with MRI scans or blood work or genetic testing. So there's nothing objective that we have that says one one disorder ends and the other disorder starts. So in general, the way we distinguish one thing from the other is somewhat arbitrary and artificial diagnostic criteria. And, you know, diagnostic criteria grew out of <laughs> last year's diagnostic criteria yep. or the year before. They don't actually change that often, as you know. The last time there was sort of a major change in diagnostic criteria was in 2013. And in 2013 is where the change was made where they said, okay, you used to be able to only give people this one diagnosis and now you can give them both. We, we believe that they are co-occurring and we think you should do that. But heck, all of us out there already knew that, you know, it was just we were given the blessing um, of the official diagnostic criteria committee. There is a book called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is mm-hmm. sort of the Bible, but yep. it's not, you know, the Bible in that it's, you know, not not a uh, uh source that that you would um, necessarily trust to remain unchanging and completely authoritative. Um, This is something where you, this is the result of committees that get together and say, okay, this is where we think we should have our diagnostic criteria. And, Mm. you know, not meaning, you know, I'm not trying to insult anybody on these committees or anything like that. What a difficult job. But basically, you know, they look at the the diagnostic criteria 
that have been going on and try to figure out if they want to change them in some way and for what reason. Um, but, you know, this is a relatively new um, type of uh, set of criteria in that, you know, autism was first diagnosed not 300 years ago, not 600 years ago, but people really started to talk about it more like, you know, 100 years ago or so. And so Mm -hmm. our ideas about um, what it is and what it should be partly are based on what the thinking was 100 years ago because Mm -hmm. we started the they started the um, discussion. Nobody, nobody heard of MRI scans or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, ADHD wasn't even recognized as a diagnosis when the DSM started. Yeah. So if you got the two conditions, it seems to me in treating it, it gets kind of complicated because – and if, if I recall, this is from a show that we had before. You can have anxiety um, from ADHD, and you can have anxiety from autism, but it's like the autism is more maybe environmental or situational or, or stimulation-type anxiety, where the ADHD anxiety might be different as a result of doubt or not getting things done. It still manifests as anxiety, but you can't always tell where it's coming from, so that would seem to make it difficult. Or sometimes you've got to deal with two, the anxiety that's coming from two different sources. So treatment of this or helping people seems to be infinitely more complicated. That- yeah, it's, again, you know, it's hard to really, um, you, you would take the symptom of anxiety and you would do your best to figure out what, you know, what's causing it. There's a lot of overlap. So both ADHD and um, autism are felt to be genetically based di- diagnoses, mm-hmm. meaning that we think that your genes are a major reason why you would be autistic or ADHD or or not. Um, however, it's not like you have one gene you're in and you have another gene you're out. Um, it's probably the combination of a couple of hundred genes, if not more, mm-hmm. um, working together or working in some way together. We have no idea. Autism researchers have no idea. Um, out of 30,000 genes that, you know, we have that create our entire body, you know, something like 20,000 of them may involve the brain. So this is levels of difficulty beyond what our technology has right now. But we do believe that there's a lot of overlap between autism genes and ADHD genes. And, um, you know, if you look at the population, the thought is that um, probably about 15% of kids with autism, sorry, 15% of kids with ADHD also could probably be diagnosed as autism. Um, And then, you know, if you have kids with autism, at least half of them, maybe up to 80% of them, could also have ADHD um, as a Mm co-diagnosis. But then we get complicated, like, what are your criteria for diagnosing ADHD in a 
kid with more severe autism who may not be very verbal and who goes to a special classroom and has you know people mm-hmm. who really help them all the time how do you how do you diagnose ADHD i'm the first person to say i don't know i don't know where to draw that line that kind of goes to you know, there's a little bit of an art to this and experience because of the complexities of it and the observations of it um because it's it, again i it seems to me like it, they're two different things, but they overlap, and it, it can get, again, just really kind of complicated. Wanna, let's go to a break real quick. I'm going to come back. I want to talk about the things a little bit because I know one of the things that you're a big believer in, you said it before, and I'm big, we, you treat the individual, not the diagnosis. But I want to talk about that in a little bit more detail. For our listeners, please check out Sarah's website at uh, – S-A-R-A-H-C-H-E-Y-E-T-T-E dot com. Uh, she's got a book that just is newly released, ADHD and Me, and you can get some of her other books on the website. Um, our secret word tonight is comorbidity. Uh, again, comorbidity, and with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Sarah Shiat having a conversation about ADHD and autism. And how do you treat um, the comorbidity, in other words, how you treat somebody who's got the two of them, which I think is a bit of a challenge. Um, before I alluded to, I know when people come to me, I'm treating the individual, not the diagnosis, because I, the diagnosis kind of closes your mind because you're just looking for one thing. It's like I did a show one time on labels. We like labels because we can label it, but when you label something, you quit paying attention to it. So like if I said, hey, think of a shade of red, you'll think of a shade, but there's an infinite number of shades of red when you actually think about it. So when we start to deal with people who've got these two, would you, I mean, I, I trust you agree is that, yeah, we, you have to look at the individual differences and throw out all the, the, the step-by-step or rules or the mindsets that you would do to deal with ADHD or autism. You kind of have to back up and observe. Make sense? Oh, absolutely. That's right. And, you know, in the previous uh, part of the show, you had mentioned, hey, you might see anxiety, but you're not sure if it's from the uh, ADHD or from the autism, you might also see something like poor eye contact. Now, poor eye contact has traditionally been sort of one of the bedrock core symptoms of autism, right? You really think about autism when you think about somebody with poor eye contact. Um, in the case of somebody who's autistic, it may be from kind of avoiding social interactions. Uh, or not really understanding social interactions. 
in the case of somebody with ADHD, their poor eye contact may be because they're looking all around the room. They're not really looking at your face because they've already seen it and they don't need to see it anymore. Their brain is, um, you know, looking at all the other things that catch their eyes, so to speak. And so, you know, taking the symptom doesn't really help you. Thinking about um, the cause uh, may be helpful. If you see somebody with poor eye contact, uh, even though autism has been the classic answer to that, you know, maybe it's ADHD. In that case, you might want to think about um, treating them with focus medicines to, and you might see their eye contact get better. Mm-hmm. So this, what effect does stimulants have on autism? I don't have any idea on that. Is it, could it be a negative effect? <laughs> So stimulants make people focus better in general, whether you're autistic, whether mm-hmm. you are, you know, neurotypical, whatever word we're using now. But basically, they will make m- many people focus better. Now, if you have autism, you can imagine that some of that may not be so good. One of the problems with autism is that sometimes they can overfocus on the wrong things. So instead of focusing on a person in front of them, they're focusing on the shadow on the wall or the slats in the fence or something that uh-huh. doesn't catch my att- attention, but it sure as heck catches their attention. Now, if you put them on a stimulant, a couple things could happen. One thing that could happen is that their attention goes to what we hope it goes to, which is the person in front of them. That's a good idea because we are the person mm-hmm. in front of them. <laughs> and we like to, you know, like, you know, I would love to be a part of your world right now, right? <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, so if the attention goes to what, you know, we, we want it to go to, that person may be more likely to have a conversation with us and, you know, sort of be in in the moment there. You know, when you're when your eyes are on something, you're more likely to pay attention to it, and vice versa. Um, so it could be a really good thing for that autistic person. However, if the stimulant medicine makes them focus more on their alternative focus item, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, which could be visual, could be something they're thinking about, you know, obsessive about or something, that could be a bad thing. So unfortunately, like most of my job, it's a try and see and see what happens. And so Mm -hmm. um, I tend to use lower doses of stimulant medicines in kids who already have a diagnosis of autism. I just find that they're a little more sensitive. And why that is, no idea. I generally start with low doses of medicine and work my way up. I am especially more likely to do that when it's somebody with a history of autism. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So for parents that have kids um, with the two, definitely the message is this is patience, it's complex, and really kind of learning how to observe what works as opposed to maybe being told what you're supposed to do? 
Yeah, and don't forget our conceptions of autism are very quickly evolving, and I don't even know. You know, I've had people introduce their husbands as autistic. I'm like, really? Uh, you know, I, I have a pretty good eye for that at this point, but I, I had no idea. And so, you know, um, the idea of what it means to have autism and also what it means to have ADHD um, are changing and may change over time. Uh, it used to be that we never diagnosed autism unless it was, you know, some kid sitting in the corner, a verbal and, you know, screaming or something. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, people are being diagnosed with much less symptomatology. And so the main thing is that if you have somebody who is really having problems with social skills or language, you're going to be thinking autism more, um, but you want to treat those particular issues. If you have somebody with attention issues, for whatever reason, I'm a firm believer that people with better attention, you know, appropriate attention, the right amount of attention at the right time are going to function better and be mm-hmm. happier. I don't really care about what whether you get your math homework done or your expense reports done or whatever. I want mm-hmm. you to get a good feeling that you're somebody who can do things. And so um, whatever it takes to get there is kind of where I, where I would encourage. I had a flash while we were talking is that there are for those that are listening there are a few not a lot I know Dana Mayer I think she's up in New Jersey she actually specializes in coaching people with both um, and I say that if if you seek people out there that have that and those observation skills sometimes they can actually help you that piece of it I'm not one of them I haven't dealt a lot with <laughs> um, for whatever reason I, mean, I think there's probably been some light stuff that's in there but. Uh, I just want to make sure there are some people that, from a coaching perspective, specialize in both. Um, what other insights do you have on the on the on the topic yeah. uh, that would be helpful well, for our listeners? Sure, like you know, both autism and ADHD can make people very uncomfortable and really cause a, a lot of problems with self-esteem. Um, uh, so you know the the uh, and it's it's a, a worsening cycle that you can easily get into. If you're uncomfortable with social situations because of autism or because of ADHD, and we know that people, uh, both kids and adult issues, no matter which diagnosis, but if you are uncomfortable socially, then you wind up developing anxiety, anxiety mm-hmm. about social situations. When you develop anxiety about social situations, it's sure as heck hard to, you know, get comfortable and, and you know, and interact well. Yes. So, um, you know, these are all things, unfortunately, that can really lead to problems with that worsen and worsen over time. You know, the end result is that, you know, you have a huge problem at the end. And mm-hmm. how to get out of it is not always obvious. So um, uh, I bet you've coached people with autism, although you may not have sought them out. And, and, you know, it may not have been obvious to you, just like some people who have been diagnosed with autism are not obvious to me. But, um, 
you know, it, you have, Jeff, I'm sure, coached people who have had difficulty interacting with others, um, and I'm sure that 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 is part of something that you have to address because yep. it's really common yeah. in both. Both. Yeah, there's been a there. I do know there's 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 one person in in particular I know that probably fits into that boat that I've kind of worked with, and probably you're probably right. There's a little bit more varying degrees of some of that stuff out there. Maybe just not at a level that would kind of trip the switch. I get every once in a while I get somebody and who's got ADHD and bipolar. Uh, those are a little bit uh-huh. more actually kind of obvious uh, when they're walking in. Yeah. But I tell you what, let's let's take another commercial break. And we'll come back and kind of continue the conversation. Everybody, our secret word tonight is comorbidity. Um, it's Dr. Sarah Shayette. Her website, S-A-R-A-H-C-H-E-Y-E-T-T-E dot com. Uh, go there, check out um, – don't check out. Buy a couple books, in particular her most recent one, <laughs> ADHD and Me. Um, and with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. We're back uh, having a... Spectacular conversation with Dr. Sarah Shayette on ADHD and autism. First, house we started talking about diagnostics and uh, kind of evolution of that, and now you can officially be diagnosed with the two different conditions. We talked about really the treatment of it and the challenges of it, and we're coming back to really observation. And you said something before the break that I that, that kind of resonated with me during the break is that. Some of the stuff with autism is is still changing and being updated as we're learning more and more about it. So I'm just kind of curious. I, I, I'm a novice. I really don't have any of this. But it, is your sense that we have we have a 50% understanding of autism, 25%, or are we like 90? Oh gosh, I would love to have a two percent. Um, wow. So I yeah. I mean. Because I'm also interested, and maybe that's my neurological background in terms of what's going on up there in that head of yours. But we don't even have a 2% of knowledge of what's going on in a typical brain. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we really uh, know a lot less than we don't know. Mm. And so you, you need to know that's true of everybody, even if you get somebody who makes it sound 
like really glib and really good. If, they, if they, <laughs> you think they know what they're talking about, you know, I'm sure they know their piece. Oh. But um, the the larger picture, nobody understands the brain. And so, um, and then, you know, you have issues that are constantly moving in terms of societal expectations and yep. societal uh, views on things. So some of the people who are being diagnosed as autistic today, um, you know, may have been just known as quirky in the past. Um, I yeah. think people are seeking diagnoses more for a variety of reasons, which is a whole nother show as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> There's good and bad in all of it, yes. but... I think that, you know, part of the rise of autism is part of differences in seeking uh, diagnoses as well as differences in diagnostics. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not that old yet, but I yeah. definitely have seen a lot of changes during my couple of yeah. decades in this. But one thing is the same, though, which is that, um, you know, people, kids and adults with autism and with ADHD, they are still just people. And they need, you know, sort of a lot of the regular stuff, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of community support out there um, for for kids and adults that, you know, who are reasonably well-functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, like a kid with autism is a kid who still needs to go to the park and still needs mm-hmm. to have a sport to develop their self-esteem mm-hmm. and still needs to go be in a play because it's fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I would ask your listeners to be mindful of the different resources that are out there. I know there's a lot that are still missing. We all need better resources. I'm not trying to ignore that, but, you know, Yes, you may have trouble getting your your child in a social skills group because there aren't very mm-hmm. many out there. However, Boy Scouts might be really good or Girl Scouts <laughs> or whatever it's called right now. <laughs> you know, that's a social skills group. And yep. instead of having other kids with impairments, then, um, you know, the, your kid is hanging around with normal kids playing games. Um, yes. I'm sure you have that where you're based, Jeff, but we've got these little um, gaming stores and usually they host, um, you know, those card games, uh, Pokemon and and all the other ones that bore the heck out of me and that, oh, my God, I would have ADHD for myself if you permit me to use it that that way. But like you know, all these all these card games that many people, not me, get get into. Yes. You know that that would be a great social experience. Yep. And you know, arts, music, and sports, exercise, all those yep. things um, will help you get on a more successful path because they bolster self-esteem. So you, you said something earlier that I'm gonna I'm gonna make a plug for from personal experience. This is this is not scientific. This is just Jeff's personal experience. My older son um, went through Cub Scouts all the way through, got his eagle, and uh, almost was an assistant scoutmaster when he turned 18 for a brief period of time. And in wow. that time, particularly particularly when we got to Boy Scouts in the summertime, we would they would go to summer camp. 
where we go for a week and the kids would, would, you know, work on merit badges and stuff like that. And as assistant scoutmaster and a high adventure scoutmaster, um, when you have kids that have ADHD, they got to have their meds. And so I was always the one that was in charge of taking them all down there. And so I was kind of privy. Mm-hmm. And my hypothesis is there's a disproportionate number of people in scouts that have ADHD. And um, it's really the only time I ever interacted with kids where I knew several of them were autistic. The reason I'm bringing this up is I went through Boy Scout training, and honestly, I just thought it was just kind of nerdy most of the time. But there was a few things mm-hmm. that we went through that was just really incredible. I never, remember in Cub Scouts, all the kids wear a different color um, bandana around their neck, and it's because you know their age. And we were taught the developmental differences between an 8, a 9, and a 10-year-old. Like a 10-year-old, if I, maybe it's a 9-year-old. Everything's absolute. You can't say – if you said you're going to be home, you're going to be home. If you've got a flat tire and you explain that, they can't comprehend that. And helping that, having that insight was helpful. Where I'm really going with this is in Boy Scouts, they taught edge, educate, demonstrate, guide, and empower. And what they would do is, like, I would explain, you know, a square knot's a really good knot because it doesn't slip, and thus we use it for first aid. That's the education piece. Then I would demonstrate it on how to do it a couple times, and then I would give the ropes to the kid and have him do it, and I would help guide him to it till the other couple times. Then I would give him some rope and say, go practice over there. That edge is a really incredibly profound learning tool that is preached in Boy Scouts, and it's outside, it's outside learning, and it's really, really dynamic. And so for those out there with some stuff, I say there's a lot of – it's just built with a lot of resources that helps people like this. And so at least that's my perspective, so it's a little bit of a plug, but it's also if you're out there, it's, it's, a, it's an organization that has been around for a long time, and there's a lot of really cool stuff that's built into it. So that's my little plug for Boy Scouts at help. Well, you know, I'm the mom of somebody who had briefly – well, I don't know, briefly. I did a few years with, with that boy in, in Boy Scouts, and there were some really good things about it that I can echo. I love that it's yep. outside. Outside helps people – function. I don't yes. care what you want to call it. Outside is good. And um, just nature is where we're meant to be and our brains know it. The yes. other thing about Boy Scouts that was, you know, it's, it's for the good and the bad, but like you have, there are rules. You can argue about whether there are too many rules, but you know, you want to be an Eagle Scout, you can't do it when you're over 18. Like, there is a deadline, yep. and that is it. There's just no getting around that. <laughs> so the structure of it is good. You know, you need to yep. get your stuff together. Now, my my son chose to be in the Boy Scouts because he liked camping, and that was fine. When, when it became to be more, you know, badges and stuff, he's like, I don't want to do it anymore. And that's absolutely fine. But, you know, being in it, did give me an appreciation of, um, you know, I like some of the rules. I think that's, yes. that's a good idea, you know, learning that you have to ma- – okay, my son was the one who lost his merit badges before he left the meeting that night. Now, that was doing, <laughs> right? So, yep. you know, being responsible is also good. Yep. Having other kids around you who are also on a mission may help you be on a mission. You know, yes. like when you're in a group and everybody's doing yep. that, there's there's a power of the group. Yep. And finally, one thing um, that it helped me with and that it probably helped you with is seeing a bunch of boys 
together. Now I think there's boys and girls together, but yes. point being is you need to know that kid is on, like there are kids with a variety of behavioral issues. No kid is perfect. And you need to see the variation is what is, in terms of what's considered normal. I think that's kind Mm -hmm. of lacking these days as we're um, kind of getting more nuclear family and not necessarily connecting. I think it's maybe to do with two-parent working, which, you know, it does leave less time to hang out with other parents and other families. Um, But one of the things where I do have to educate people in my practice is that, you know, your four-year-old who can follow five-step commands, that is the abnormal person. Your six-year-old who can get like two or three, that's normal. You know, people think their six-year-old is the problem. Uh Uh-uh. So just kind of getting an idea. um, You know, I I remember our our town has a thing where they, they have the brownies marching in the parade and the Boy Scouts marching on the parade. That year I had a Boy Scout the Boy Scouts literally were pummeling each other. You'd see two of them fighting and turning over and over, and then they get up, and then two more would be doing this. The Girl Scouts were linking arms, uh, holding hot chocolates, <laughs> and singing songs. I'm telling yep. you, I will never forget this. That's I'm like, funny. oh, maybe my son isn't so terrible after all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> touche, touche. Yeah, it helps. So, so I, I, I want to kind of need to pull this to get, kind of to a close. Uh, really quickly, a resource out there, SOAR, S-O-A-R, is a, uh, it's a school in North Carolina run by John Wilson, big ADD fan. They do a lot of outdoor learning. They've got gap years. They've got boarding school. They've got class. They've got summer camps, just a resource on outdoor and learning and stuff like that. But, the, Sarah, the, the thing about today I think that's really important is, we do have these two different diagnoses. They can co and this is a little bit kind of complex. You've got to treat the individual, not necessarily the diagnosis. And I encourage people to sit down and make those observations and spend some time um, getting educated by, by professionals, but at the same time turning and, and looking for those individual differences and holding how you treat one or the other a little bit loosely and realize that there's an eclectic combination and we're still learning more. Um, it, it's not a simple thing to do, but just – if you're looking for somebody to tell you all the answers, I'm not so that, sure that they're there, but learn self-observation, get some ideas, and take a look at the individual and do the best you can. So with that, any last insights before we close it down? No, just, you know, you, got, you, can, you can use an ADHD treatment to treat an autistic kid. You could use a stimulant medicine to treat uh, focus issues in autism. Sure. You can use social skills training to help an ADHD kid uh, as well. So um, treat the symptoms and yep. don't worry about anything else. There you go. So, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's always fun to talk to you. Absolutely. Everybody, the website is sarahshayette.com, S-A-R-A-H-C-H-E-Y-E-T-T-E.com. Our secret word is comorbidity. Hope you've enjoyed today. Catch us next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care.